Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to Gather and Go, the podcast that helps you plan, promote, and lead better trips. This is Brian Jewell. I am your host, and I am so excited that you are joining us for the show today. Now, since this is our premiere episode, you might have a bunch of questions, and we want to answer those questions for you right from the jump. So question number one, who is Brian Jewell and why should I care what he has to say? Well, I can't promise that you should care what I have to say, but I can tell you a little bit about me and why I think I've got some exciting things to share with you here on the Gather and Go podcast. I am Brian Jewell, and I'm the executive editor at the group Travel Leader. We publish a bunch of travel magazines, and if you're listening to the podcast today, there's a chance that you have read some of them, like the group Travel Leader, maybe Select Traveler, maybe Going on Faith. I am the editor of all of those magazines, and I have been in travel journalism for almost two decades. I know I don't sound like it. I sound fresh and baby faced, I'm sure, but I've actually been in the business a long time. And let me tell you, two decades in travel is incredible. It has been an amazing privilege to travel all over the United States in that time. I've been to almost every state in the country and more than 30 countries around the world. But more than that, I have met so many smart and innovative and engaging people. And the reason that we started Gather and Go is I believe that there are lots and lots of people in the tourism industry here in the US and around the world that have a lot to add to what you're doing in your tourism organization. They have so many awesome ideas. They have so much energy and so much passion. And usually I only get to share a sliver of what they have to say with you in the magazines. So that's why we started this podcast, because we think there is so much for you to learn from the people that we have met over the years. We can't wait to introduce you to them. So you might be thinking, all right, that sounds great, Brian, but I'm not sure this podcast is for me. Well, let me tell you whether or not this podcast is for you. Uh, This is a podcast for people who plan, promote, or lead travel. And if you're involved in doing any of those things, then I believe this is exactly the show for you. Let me tell you why. If you plan travel, this podcast is for you. Okay, so maybe you uh, work for a tour company. Maybe you are a travel agent. Maybe you are just a group leader or somebody who enjoys planning travel for your friends or family. You don't do it professionally, but it's something that you do as a hobby. If you're involved in planning in any way, this podcast is for you. Let me tell you why. You're going to learn about the trends that other travel planners around the country and around the world are seeing, and you can benefit from their ideas. You're also going to hear about how people are overcoming the travel planning challenges that you're wrestling with right now. You're also going to get expert insight on how to plan trips that more people will want to take. Because at the end of the day, almost anyone who's involved in planning travel would love to plan more trips for more people. If you promote travel, this podcast is for you. Why is that? Well, if you listen to Gather and Go, you're going to learn about what kind of travel experiences customers are really looking for. You're going to get tips on how to market your products and get the word out, even if you don't have a promotional budget. You're also going to get insight into what makes travel buyers tick and learn how you can work with them to create winning travel partnerships. And finally, if you lead travel, Gather and Go is the podcast for you. 
you're going to hear from experienced travel leaders and benefit from the lessons they've learned on the road. You might even be able to learn from some of their mistakes so you don't have to make mistakes that they have already made in order to learn the lessons that they have already learned. You're also going to get tips on how to handle unexpected situations that happen in travel. And finally, you're going to learn how to make your life on the road happier, healthier, more enjoyable, and more profitable. So if you plan travel, if you promote travel, or if you lead travel, this podcast is for you. We also have a really cool segment called Road Tips, where we are going to dip into the reservoir of our travel knowledge, things that we have learned over decades and decades in the travel business, and share some of our favorite tips to help you uh, be more successful in your personal travel, your business travel, and taking other people out on the road. Now, the heart of each episode is going to be a feature conversation with one of those really smart, really creative, really innovative people that I was telling you about. These are people that I meet all over the country, all over the world. I have so much fun talking to them. And then uh, when I interview them, when we write articles in the magazines, it's always disappointing because I only have a little bit of space and there's so much good stuff they have to say that we have to leave on the cutting room floor. Well, not here on the podcast. You are going to get to hear from these people uh, with all the detail that they have to share. You're going to love these future conversations and you're going to be better for it. Now, you want to stick around to the end of the feature conversation because at the end, we have a segment that I call the hot minute. Now, this is when I take 60 seconds to give you my unfiltered view of an issue that is impacting the travel industry every day. Now, you may like what you hear. You may hate what you hear. You may agree. You may disagree. But one thing you won't want to do is miss it. So that is the rundown of an episode of gather and go let's jump right in to this one with today's road tip now in our feature interview you're going to hear some talk about emergency preparedness and some things that you should do and plan and have on hand in case things go haywire and i want to add a road tip that is based on something i do on every trip that relates to emergency preparedness so if you go into my closet at home right now and pull out my suitcase, you will find inside a little zipper pocket at the bottom of the suitcase, what I call a bundle of basics. And this is simply a large Ziploc bag, like a gallon size Ziploc bag. And inside it, I have some of the basic clothing essentials that I need in case something goes wrong. So in my bundle of basics, you will find a pair of underwear, a pair of socks and a clean t-shirt. I put that bundle in that Ziploc bag and zipped it into the bottom of my suitcase years ago, and it comes with me on every trip I take. And the reason is I have had too many times where something has gone wrong on the road and I needed clothes that I didn't plan for. There was one time where I was at dinner with a bunch of people and the waiter accidentally spilled an entire tray of waters on me. Yeah, I definitely needed new clothes after that. There's also been more than my share of times when I have been stuck in a connecting airport overnight because I missed a flight, I missed a connection, a flight was canceled. And I can't tell you how good it feels to be able to change into clean socks, clean shirts at the end of a long day of flying when it turns out that I'm not going to get home when I thought I was going to get home. So here's the tip. 
Whether you are flying or driving, you need to keep a bundle of basics in your carry-on luggage. So that is our road tip for the day. Now, before we move on to our featured conversation, I do want to let you know about a cool opportunity we have coming up this fall. If you are a group travel planner, we would love to have you join us for an on-site familiarization tour in the New Orleans area, October 1st through 5th. Now, this is a tour that we are hosting in conjunction with the Louisiana Office of Tourism. And let me tell you, I've seen a bit of the itinerary. It's going to be a ton of fun. You, of course, are going to see the legendary New Orleans and experience attractions like the Sazerac House and many other uh, iconic and fun things throughout the city. You're also going to get to do things like a Cajun Encounter Swamp Tour and visit the Global Wildlife Center. I went there a couple years ago with my family. We fed animals. We took pictures with buffalo and giraffe. It was incredible. You won't want to miss it. Now, if you want to come on the fam with us, I am going to be there. I would love for you to be there. You can apply to attend the fam on our website at grouptravelleader.com slash LA-FAM. LA is in Louisiana-FAM. We're also going to put that link in the show notes. So if you are driving your car right now, please don't get out your phone and try to go to that link. Just grab us on the show notes, click through to the link and fill out your application. And we would love to have you join us in the greater New Orleans area, October 1st through 5th. Now we are about to move into our feature conversation, which today is with Terry Dale. You might know Terry from the United States Tour Operators Association or USTOA. Uh, he is a delight. He is a personal friend. He is one of the smartest people in travel, and I am thrilled to have him on today. We're going to talk about travel in challenging times and how you can prepare for unexpected situations before they happen. You're going to love that interview, but make sure you stick around through the interview to the end of the episode for the hot minute, because today in the hot minute, I'm going to talk about the most important thing in travel planning that you are probably not doing. So I hope I've got your attention. I hope you will enjoy this conversation with Terry Dale, and I'll talk to you again on the other side. All right, everybody. My guest today is a longtime leader in tourism whose resume includes stints at the helm of NYC and Company and the Cruise Line Industry Association. Uh, since 2011, he's been the president of the United States Tour Operators Association, whose members package travel for 9.8 million travelers every year. He is Terry Dale. Terry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brian. It's good to be with you. Man, I am always excited when I get to talk to you. Uh, one of the first times that we got to hang out, I learned something that I never would have guessed about you, which is that you did not get your start in a big city or impressive companies. You actually came all the way from a farming town in the Midwest. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, Iowa, which all of my family and siblings still live within about a mile and a half of the family farm. So wow. they are there and I'm in Brooklyn, New York. So from one Brooklyn, which is 900 people to another Brooklyn, which is the fourth largest city in the country, if it was a city separate from <laughs> New York City. So anyway. Wow, that's incredible. So uh, did you think when you were a kid growing up on the farm that you would have a career in tourism? Never in a million years. Our family never took a vacation. Our vacation wow. was going to the Iowa State Fair, where we would take our 4-H projects in the back of the family truck, 
we would unload the 4-H projects, clean out the back truck, and then we would sleep in the back of the truck for oh two gosh. nights while we were at the state fair. So that was that was our form of a vacation. Yeah, wow. So no matter where you go in the world or what the accommodations are like, you can always say, I've had it rougher <laughs> than this. You know what? Those are great memories. <laughs> so yeah, I'm sure. No matter how rough they were, it was still fun. Yeah. So give us the, the real quick uh, storyline, how you made it from there to uh, a tourism executive. Well, I always felt I belonged in New England. So mm. I had an opportunity uh, with the Providence, Rhode Island Convention and Visitors Bureau, uh, which they hired me from Davenport, Iowa, totally green, not qualified, but for whatever reason, they believed in something that I could bring to the table. So I went to Providence, Rhode Island, spent 10 years, uh, only expected to spend maybe two or three years there and then move on to my next bigger, better destination. But it was a true laboratory for me as far as a learning experience. So I spent 10 years in Rhode Island, uh, got their uh, convention center built, which was at that point, the largest public works department in the history of Rhode Island. And then I packed up and moved to New York City and I didn't have a job and I didn't know anyone in New York City, but I felt I should try it. Mm. And lo and behold, uh, I'm here 26 years later between NYC and company, CLIA, and now USTOA. Yeah. Yeah. That is incredible. Now, if you and I were having this conversation in 2019, uh, I would be asking you about many of the innovative things that uh, you have brought to the various organizations you've led, because I've always considered you uh, one of the most innovative thinkers uh, in travel. But uh, innovation has not been the main theme of the past couple of years for anybody working in tourism, at least not the way we would hope. So um, one thing that many people may not know about your career is that although the COVID crisis, the pandemic has probably been the biggest crisis you've ever faced. It wasn't the first and it wasn't the first crisis you faced in leadership. So can you take us back to those days at NYC and company and, and walk us through what happened and how you dealt with it? Well, uh, September 11th happened and never uh, do you think that you would face some type of crisis like that. And one of the first questions I always get when I've served on numerous panels or conversations like we're having today, did you have a crisis preparedness plan in mm. place? And the answer is yes. Mm. So within the first hour and a half, two hours of September 11th, uh, which I was at a breakfast meeting planning a photo shoot for a marketing campaign for the city of New York. So I go back to the office, I pull out the crisis plan only to look at it and then throw it in the waste paper basket mm. because there was really nothing in the plan that would prepare us for the kind of attack that our country and our city faced on September 11th. So, mm. so I don't share that story and say you shouldn't have a crisis plan in place. You should. But don't assume that it's going to meet the needs of what you might face. 
Yeah. And you have to be able to recognize whether or not it meets the needs. This is what we learned from that plan, though, that was useful. So our first priority was to make sure that our staff and their families got connected as quickly as possible and made sure that they were okay. And then you need to have the ability to um, reconvene as a leadership team somewhere outside of your office. If your office isn't accessible, then you all need to know that in 48 hours, if you can safely get to the Starbucks two blocks away from where your office is, and it may not be in the coffee shop, it could be on the street corner. So you yeah. need to know how to reconvene with your leadership team if you can't actually have um, live communication at that moment. So wow. otherwise, you know, you, you, um, you work through it and uh, there are elements that you don't expect. Um, you know, I, I, I saw the best of our world and our country and our industry and our industry more than anything. We started feeding tens of thousands of New Yorkers within 48 hours of September 11th, before the Red Cross, before the federal wow. government. It was the restaurants within our city who started to feed New Yorkers. It That's was amazing. our hotels in the city that provided a safe place to sleep. So, you yeah. know, once again, our industry really delivers uh, in times of need like that. Oh, that's, that's amazing. You know, I remember going to amusement parks with my parents when I was maybe yeah, 13, 14 years old, like just old enough for them to let me go for a couple hours with my friends and, and, um, and trust that I would come back. Okay. But we would always have that plan. Like, yeah. you know, we're going to meet back at this landmark in, in three hours. And if something goes wrong, you know, just come back here. Whenever yeah. it is, we will yeah. find each other back here. So right. uh, right. is that something that you would tell any leader or executive to kind of make sure their team knows even before crisis happens? Yes. Yes. You, you, that plus always have in the drawer of your desk, um, for lack of a better term, I'm going to call it a care package, but you need mm. to have some type of source of light whether it's a battery packed flashlight or what have you, you need to have some food and fresh water. Um, so you need to have that <laughs> in your desk. So yeah. uh, if you need it, you've got it. So I, I, I would say that, but nothing could have prepared us for the pandemic. Oh my goodness. I mean, and it's, it's apples and oranges, right? I mean, your, uh, your flashlight and your, you know, granola bars and bottle of water are just, that's not what you need at that moment. No, no. So I, I assumed, Brian, that once I got through September 11th, you check that box and you say, never again in your career will you have <laughs> to deal with something quite to that magnitude. And right. little did I know that a pandemic would bring us to our knees. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the thing that was unique about September 11th was that the whole world was pulling and rooting for New York City. You know, mm -hmm. they, they wanted us to come back fast and strong and big and better, and, and we did. But when you have something like this pandemic, which impacts every corner of the world, it's, it's a whole different ballgame, whole yeah. different ballgame. 
And when you are the leader uh, of anything, leader of your uh, family, you got kids or the leader of a, a nonprofit, uh, a for-profit company, an association as you are, when the world gets very scary, everybody in the room looks to you. So take us to mid-March 2020. Uh, everyone in your association is looking to you. Everyone in your office is looking to you. What do you tell them? What are some of the first things you start to do? Well, the first thing that I did, Brian, <clears throat> I was at a meeting in Miami when President Trump basically kind of closed everything down. Mm -hmm. And so I went from Miami to our nation's capital and I called upon all of my colleagues, U.S. Travel Association, ASTA, NTA, ATTA, ABA, CLIA. I called all of my colleagues and said, um, I'm not sure when we'll be able to convene face to face because none of us knew. Was this going to be a two week, a two month, a two year um, event? So we all met um, at my invitation in D.C. at our lobbying firm's office to talk about the necessity of how to collaborate and how to work together, not knowing what was going to unfold, yeah. but knowing that whatever it was going to be, it was going to be pretty darn big. And we were going to be stronger and we were going to be better if we did it and coordinated together as opposed yeah. to us trying to slog through it ourselves. So yeah. uh, that's the first thing that I, that I did on an industry basis is let's try and get together. Um, and I remember, I don't know how uh, my lobbying firm pulled it off, but I said, I want t-shirts in 24 hours to give to my colleagues saying we make travel happen mm. because of regardless of what we were going to face, we make travel happen. Mm. And in the most extreme and uncertain times, we come through. Yeah. And, and so uh, we did not always perfectly, <laughs> but, but, but we did. And then, and then it, it was a really a matter of, um, how do you communicate during a lockdown? Yeah. And I, I decided the best way for me to communicate was to create quirky little videos that I would send out that maybe lasted a minute, minute and 30 seconds uh, about, you know, what I was facing, what our industry was facing, um, any thoughts that I might have, uh, because to me, that was the easiest, most effective way to stay in touch. And sometimes, you know, I'm not good uh, with Facebook or Instagram or whatever the latest Twitter. Um, yeah. But I can shoot a minute video. And to me, that has um, more human element to it and try and keep connected uh, that way with our members about what we're going through together. Yeah. Hey, you know, what strikes me about those videos? I, I love them. Um, it, there was nothing in those videos that gave anybody any answers. 
there was nothing that unlocked the question of when can we travel again or what's going to happen to our businesses. Uh, so nothing, no, I mean, nobody had answers to share, but there was something about that presence, about just a reassuring face uh, that people know that I think gave people some comfort and gave them some hope and gave them some resolve to say, I don't know how we're getting through this, but, but we're going to find a way. So was, was that something you were shooting for? Yeah. Yeah. I remember one video, which, I mean, this sounds so trite, but uh, it was all on eating ice cream. <laughs> I was like, eat ice cream. Yeah. It makes me feel good. It makes me happy, even in these dark times. So let's have ice cream tonight, you know? Yeah. Uh, so you're absolutely right. There were no answers. <laughs> there, was, there was no sermon. There was no... This is how we have to figure this out. We all had to figure it out kind of on our own, but yeah. to reassure one another that um, there was a familiar face, a familiar voice, a supportive association for our members and um, hopefully conveying that, you know, we will get through this, yeah. but the only way we'll get through it is uh, together. And, yeah. and, and a couple of other things that I'll just throw out here. Um, and that is consistent communication mm. uh, is so key. And, you know, and it, it doesn't have to be a video, but consistent, concise communication for what you know at that moment in time is mm. key. It's key. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of our listeners are people who plan trips, lead trips. They might be doing it on a for-profit basis. They might just be volunteers for a community organization. They might just have, you know, a couple hundred friends that they like to take on the road. Uh, but in one regard or another, they will find themselves in a leadership situation like that. And if you take enough trips out, uh, something's going to go wrong on a trip. Uh, you're going to run into medical issues, logistical issues, uh, infrastructure issues. So um, could you distill some of those lessons you've learned down to somebody who is uh, not a professional executive, but who is out on the road with 30 or 40 people, let's say from their community and uh, the airline cancels their flight or there's a storm that blows through and they can't get to the hotel they were planning to get to. I mean, how, how can somebody sort of lean on your experience to be a more capable leader uh, on the road when they face a crisis of their own? Yeah, I think uh, wherever you are going, whether it's domestic or international, having someone local on the ground who is a respected voice for you mm. is key. So yeah. I, I'm traveling next week to Malta and to Turkey. And, you know, I've got some DMC members who are extraordinary, extraordinary professionals who will help me navigate if something goes wrong. And who knows what that, yeah. what that variable might be. So I would say always have somebody who is your eyes and ears uh, at the location that you're traveling to, mm. who can, you, you can rely upon for real-time information. And then you can extend that to the group that you're taking, whether it's a church group or a group of friends and family. Yeah. Friends. But I would have somebody always in my back pocket available to uh, get the kind of intelligence that you need. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So USTOA has uh, members all over the world, associate members and active members. Uh, I assume you're going to visit some associates probably uh, next week when you're traveling. 
When I think about what many people who led uh, tourism associations did when the pandemic started, I saw a lot of people basically running to Washington uh, looking for some relief. And, and I'm not judging them in any way. They, they certainly had the reasons and, and many of us would probably do the same thing were we in their shoes. Being an international association, that wasn't probably as obvious or as available a recourse for you. So what did you do in that situation where you've got members all over the world uh, in countries with different policies, different leaders, vastly different outlooks on how to handle a pandemic? How do you deal with the international factor there? So uh, the first step is uh, reach out to sister associations. So the European Tour Operator Association led by Tom Jenkins and then the Canadian Association of Tour Operators. So look to those kind of entities that you already have an existing relationship with to explore what are the opportunities, whether it's a financial program that your members could tap uh, through the EU or up in Canada. And don't get me wrong, we knocked on every door in Washington, D.C. on behalf of our members based here in the U.S. But I'd say, you know, um, in times like the pandemic or any other crisis, leverage the relationships you have with sister associations because they know the right people that you may not know. So the same thing goes to India or South America. We tapped all of those entities that we've worked with for years uh, in ways that we really hadn't until this pandemic. So it's yeah. trying to open every door that you can. Yeah. And if you hadn't done the work on those relationships beforehand, you're probably not getting those calls returned. It's it's hard. Yeah. It's hard because um, there are there are a lot of calls being placed. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I will share with you uh, a story from September 11th, which was one of the hardest lessons I've ever learned in dealing with a crisis. And I was in my office on a Friday night, late at night. And I got a call from a uh, volunteer firehouse out in Oregon who had a plane that was donated to them to send out X number of volunteer firefighters to Manhattan mm. to help in whatever way they could. Yeah. And the reality is we had so many people from around the world who wanted to help, but we didn't know how, we, we didn't have a productive way to use their help. Mm. And, uh, and that was hard to say, I, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know where you're going to land yeah. that donated plane. Um, I can try and find a hotel room because we do have available hotel rooms, but I don't, I'm not sure there's a job that I can give you or direct to the appropriate agency in New York city. So, um, it's, it's hard to utilize the outpouring of support that the world wants to give you in, in moments like September 11th. Yeah. You know, one of the things that was very difficult for me uh, when the pandemic was unfolding was having relationships and friendships with people in tourism all over the world, uh, not 
really having a great way to support them. Because usually when there's trouble like this, we say, let's go visit these people. Let's take groups there. Let's give them some business. The best way we can support them is, is through our business. But you, you can't do that in this situation. So uh, what is the alternative if there's a place where, let's say, there has been a natural disaster uh, or, or something else prohibits us from supporting them through tourism business? How do we help our comrades uh, in, in those kind of places? Yeah, I, I think it's maintaining the human connection. Hmm. So if I can't physically be there to support um, our industry and our partners, um, every Friday, not, not every Friday, every night at five o'clock during the pandemic, I had a cocktail with a colleague from around the world. Just to have a conversation like you and I are doing right now. So maintaining that human connection was in, was critically important, not only for me personally, but I think for them as well. And then the other thing that I, I really um, stress to our members is writing a handwritten note and sending it through the mail is a lost art. Mm. And sending a note to somebody during that pandemic, which I did every single day, I tried to do five handwritten notes a day to wow. friends in the industry to say, we're in this together. Yeah. And we all like immediate gratification. And I'm the worst. I, I want to get <laughs> after this conversation's over. I want to get a note off to you saying, thank you, Brian, for this opportunity. Because there's something about the immediacy that I thrive on. But four days from now to get a handwritten note to say, thank you, I was thinking of you, or I am thinking of you during this moment of need uh, carries volume. And, yeah. and, and I think that uh, that's key. That's yeah. key. Yeah, and then follow that up once the borders do reopen and uh, the regulations are uh, open, follow that up with coming back when you can come back and bringing business back when you can bring it back. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and um, you know, we've been talking now for two years about this pent up demand. Mm -hmm. I don't think we fully appreciate how much that demand is out there, hmm. but it's huge. It's yeah. huge. And um, our industry is going to not only survive, but uh, we're going to thrive. And if there's a silver lining uh, to this pandemic is that too many times we feel as a travel and tourism industry that we aren't fully appreciated by the municipality, the state, the region, the country to the jobs that we create the economic impact that we have, the quality of life that we uh, improve because of the vibrancy of our industry. Mm -hmm. I think people now understand the value of travel and what we do to help educate and help build roads and all those things that create a quality of life that we benefit from. So. Yeah, that's that's one of the silver linings that will come out of this is that people have a better appreciation of our industry. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the pinup demand, uh, I agree with you is it, huge. It's probably impossible to quantify. Uh, I think we see signs of it when we try to book flights and there are no seats left, or when we try to book hotels in places that are not normally expensive. And, and all of a sudden we're looking at 200 or $300 room nights on a, you know, on a Thursday wow. night in a, in an average city. Yeah. Uh, I'm interested to know what your members are saying, even anecdotally about demand, about what their, uh, sales are looking like uh, for 22 and 23? So we are very uh, optimistic about the remainder of this year. Obviously, we're kind of going into the peak travel season, Memorial Day to Labor Day, and uh, bookings are extremely strong. Uh, we have not seen any real dramatic decrease or softening or changing of itineraries uh, because of the very tragic uh, war taking place in Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, if it should happen to spill out beyond the borders of Ukraine, then that would change uh, the landscape pretty dramatically. Yeah. But right now, um, U.S. travelers are, are ready to travel this, this uh, summer season. And, and advanced sales for 2023 are very strong. And it could be, you know, a, a 2019 kind of a year uh, wow. for us next year. So, so we feel good, but we all know that we could wake up tomorrow and the everything has changed. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I feel like 10 years ago had Russia invaded Ukraine, um, it would have been an enormous blow to travel to Europe. It would have uh, bottomed out demand. I mean, we saw that happen in the Middle East with the Arab Spring. We've, we've seen this repeat so many times over and over yeah. uh, the, the decades. But as you said, that has not happened. So could it be that uh, what we have been through with the pandemic has not only increased demands to the point that people are, are just willing to uh, overlook the war, but maybe even increase the resolve or the thickness of skin of the international traveler? Yeah. So, you know, for years, well, you're too young. You may not have known. <laughs> I know for years the U.S. traveler has been characterized as being risk adverse. So we kind of draw in if there's an issue, whether it's Arab Spring or our Mother Nature flexing her muscle, we mm -hmm. kind of just pull in. You yeah. know what? That's changed. And mm -hmm. I, I think the perception of the U.S. traveler is that, you know, we're willing to put ourselves out there now because mm -hmm. we want to go. We're going to we're not going to hold back as much as we did in the past. So um, I, I, the pandemic is not going to get the best of us. Yeah. Um, it's it's going to show that it's going to show the best of us because we're going to get yeah. out there. Yeah, absolutely. Terry, I could go on and on picking your brain about this kind of stuff all day. But before I let you go, a uh, few questions. Number one, where can people find you or USTOA? What's the best way to follow online? Um, go to USTOA.com slash travel now. It's all about travel now. So that's the yeah. best place to get information from USTOA members. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. All right, well, we have four questions we ask everybody before they go and they're, they're just fun. So no pressure here, just shoot from the hip. Question number one, window seat or aisle seat? Aisle. Aisle, why is that? I have to use the bathroom a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you hate waking people up on a long flight. I, I, to... I refuse to crawl over people. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I agree that I'm an aisle guy too. All right. Number two, what is one thing in your carry on that you would not travel without? <laughs> oh, uh, moisturizer. Mm, smart man. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm an aging man. So I, I've got to have, I've got to have my moisturizer. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> got to show up looking good. <laughs> I'm not too proud. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. So next question, if you had a free airline ticket and a week off work, where would you go? I would go to India. Yeah. Have you been there? I've been twice and I just, for, I don't know why, but the last month or two, I've just had this inclination of, I want to go back to India. So, yeah. So, uh, last question, what is something you have seen or done on the road that you wish you could experience again with somebody you love? Mm. I would have falafel in Israel outside of Tel Aviv, actually, um, with somebody I love because I did yeah. it by myself, which I loved. Yeah. Uh, I love street food and all that kind of see. So it, this was just a roadside cart mm. that um a woman and her mother were making fresh falafel i loved it and it's to be shared oh uh, that's wonderful i love it cool. all right the only other thing i have to ask you is will you come back sometime anytime fantastic terry dale you are the best thanks for joining us you're the best Well, I hope you agree after hearing that conversation uh, that Terry Dale is an absolute treasure of the travel industry. One of my favorite people. He had so many amazing things to say. I hope you took some things away from that. You know, some things that I took away that I wanted to highlight as we wrap up here. Uh, he said, don't assume that your crisis plan will meet the needs you're going to face. You know, it is important to be prepared for crisis, whether it's uh, in your office, in the world, in the travel industry, when you have people out on the road. We need to have plans in place, but we also have to be adaptable and nimble on our feet and know how to adjust and address the situation even when the plans don't accommodate, don't rise to the level of the crisis that we're facing. He said something that I thought was really practical. You need to have some source of light, some food, and some fresh water. That's important for your office. It's important for your home. I would suggest it's also important for your vehicle. If you take motor coach tours out, if you take groups out on a motor coach, make sure your coach has all those things on board. And that means having some food and having some water that aren't snacks to use for the trip. They are there only in case of emergency. And he said, you know, when an emergency happens, it's so important to have someone local on the ground who is a respected voice for you. He said that is key and that you should look to partners you already have relationships with. I think this is so helpful, so important. And that brings us to today's hot minute. Now that's right. The hot minute is the part of the show where I take 60 seconds to give you my unvarnished take on an issue that's impacting travel today. Today's hot minute is all about travel relationships. So we're going to put 60 seconds on the clock and get started. So here's the deal, guys. For years, travel industry professionals at city and state tourism offices have been begging tour operators and travel planners to give them a heads up when they bring groups to town. And for years, many tour companies have simply refused to do it. 
Now, destination representatives are some of the most hospitable and hardworking people I know. And if something goes wrong during a trip, they are the ones who are going to move heaven and earth to take care of you, take care of your customers, make sure you have a place to stay, make sure you have some place to eat, make sure you have a place to get work done on the motor coach if the coach breaks down. They can't help though if they don't know you're in town. And if you wait until you already have an emergency to call them, it might be too late. So take this tip from Terry Dale, take it to heart, build those relationships before you need them. And when you're bringing people to town, call ahead, let your destination reps know you're there so they can take care of you when the worst happens. All right, that is the hot minute today. If you have thoughts, rebuttals, questions, feedback, comments, we would love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at grouptravelleader.com. And you never know, your question or comment might just be the topic of the next hot minute. Hey, while you're in the mood to communicate, why don't you do us a favor? Go over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a rating. We love a five star rating. We would also love to get a review there. Those ratings and reviews really do help us get the word out. And also, please subscribe so that you get every episode as soon as it drops. That about does it for this episode. My thanks once again to Terry Dale from the United States Tour Operators Association. Next time, I'm going to bring you an interview with Ian Kiner of young adult tour company Kentucky, who's going to tell us about some fascinating developments going on among the upcoming generation of group travelers. You won't want to miss that. Until then, remember, at the end of the day, we're all on this trip together. So let's make it a good one. See you next time on Gather and Go. Gather and Go is hosted and produced by me, Brian Jewell. Our publisher is Mac Lacey. Donya Simmons is our creative director. Ashley Ricks is our circulation manager and graphic designer. Our sales team is Kelly Tyner and Kyle Anderson. To advertise on the podcast, call Kelly or Kyle at 888-253-0455. Gather and Go is a production of the Group Travel Leader. For more information about our magazines, podcasts, and events, visit us online at grouptravelleader.com.